It's First Peter chapter 4, and we may finish chapter 4 this evening. And we covered just verse 15 last week. We're looking at no man suffering as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. And so we're looking at the evaluation of suffering. Why am I suffering? Are there pointed reasons for which I am suffering? We looked at those four reasons. Am I suffering... Because I am of my sinful behaviour and there's those four things in there. As a murderer, as a misdeeder, as a malefactor and as a meddler. And I like that word there for meddler. Hello, trio, episcopos. And we looked at that last week. Uh, The meddler. Taking on someone else's position. He should mind his business. And then we look at We'll start tonight looking at the, am I suffering because of my saintly behaviour? It's a sinful behaviour in verse 15 and saintly behaviour in verse 16. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on our study tonight. As we can't sing, but we can study. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that we can look into your word tonight. Thank you for those that come, come out on this rainy night. And thank you for all your blessings. And we do need the rain. And we thank you for all the things that it helps and to grow and provide for us and our physical needs. And Lord, I pray that you bless our fellowship tonight and as we pray together a little later on and as we fellowship around your word, may it be a blessing to us and encouragement in the middle of the week to keep on keeping on. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so, Am I suffering because of my sinful behaviour or am I suffering because of my saintly behaviour? Which would be the best to be suffering for? (laughs) Our saintly behaviour, of course. Because I'm a Christian and behaving as a Christian and uh, not doing the wrong thing, but doing the right thing. Uh, Verse 16, as it declares there, Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God on on this behalf. Now there's a word that's used here that wasn't in common use. Well, it started to at the time that Peter wrote this epistle. And it's a word that's used in this verse. Any man suffer as a Christian. A Christian. And it was a derogatory word put together by non-Christians who didn't like Christians. These Christ ones. <laughs> and uh, we take it as a, as a compliment today. We, we, we wear that. And so did the early Christians after a while. They realised oh, this is a good word for us. This is a good name for us. These Christ followers. And uh, <clears throat> those that have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and follow him. And it's better than a, a, a denominational name. It's a, we are Christians. Born again believers. If any man suffer as a Christian, and in the early church there were those people that did suffer as Christians, much more than we do in our country today, other countries, as we've said, there is a lot of suffering on the behalf of Christians who suffer because they live in a country where there's totalitarian governments 
that forbid them from meeting, forbid them from having Bibles and and uh, spreading the truth of the Word of God. I wouldn't like to be in some countries today with the Taliban's taking over and be a Christian there. Well, you wouldn't be allowed to be a Christian there now. And any Americans and others from the West that had witnessed to people there that did become Christians as they did try to get people out that were interpreters and that. But um, it would be certain a death warrant to be a Christian there now. So we need to pray for people that may have believed there that are still there in their home country. <clears throat> so, Christians, let's suffer because we're Christians, not because we're criminals and acting like criminals. Uh, <clears throat> we might have... This statement, well, this statement might have reminded Peter of his denial of the Lord as we read on in verse 16. Let him not be ashamed. <laughs> Peter could pen this and say, Yep, I remember a day some decades ago when I was ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ, I was embarrassed to own him. But that day changed. I wasn't willing to say, yes, I'm one of his followers. He's a Galilean. His speech betrayeth him. Who was it that accused Peter? And he wasn't man enough or Christian enough to own the Lord Jesus. Little <laughs> the little maid. Now, be honest. Has there been times when our, in our lives that we haven't been man enough, Christian enough to own our Christian faith. There probably has been times, hasn't there? In the workplace when all the others are non-Christians and uh, we had opportunity, God gave an opportunity to see how we respond and we did what Peter did when he denied the Lord. He didn't own up to it and someone just questioned us and uh, we, we failed the test. And that's in Luke 22 and 54 where Peter was put on the, on the spot there and he denied the Lord three times and, and, and the Lord had already told him that it was going to happen before the cock crows three times. You're going to... No, before the cock crows... How do you put it? Before the cock crows, you're going to deny, deny me thrice. That's right. Yeah. <clears throat> and... Um, and when the cock crew, that was it. And, and at the same time, the gaze of the Lord met Peter's eye, didn't it? He looked. And that was the, <laughs> the, the eye contact, that was it. And he was ashamed. And this reminded him. And so here, right here, if any man suffers a Christian, let him not be ashamed. And Peter's penning this from personal experience. Personally. Am I suffering because of my saintly behaviour? <clears throat> Listen to some of the verses that I've written down here. Hebrews 2, 11. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he, the Lord Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brethren. He's not ashamed of us. We should not be ashamed of him. He's not ashamed to call us Brethren, they're my children. You know, like we, uh, 
are proud of our children and we point them out and we like to talk about them. If you like to get a conversation going with someone, ask them about their, fa- their family. Usually they'll talk about their family unless there's something bad happened among them. Hebrews 11 verse 16 says, But now they desire a better country, that is a heavenly country, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. God is not ashamed to be called our, their God, our God. <clears throat> Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the what? The shame. Despising the shame. And so <clears throat> there he wasn't ashamed to die for us. He bore the shame on the cross for us. And Mark, let's turn to this one in Mark chapter 8. Am I suffering because of my saintly behaviour? Are we ashamed or are we not ashamed? He's not ashamed of us. He suffered the shame on the cross. We shouldn't be ashamed of him. And there in Mark chapter 8 and verse 38, it reads at the conclusion of a discussion there, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, it says of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We wouldn't want that, would we? When the Lord comes, for him to be ashamed of us because we were ashamed of him and didn't own him on the occasions that we could have owned him. Remember what Paul said in Romans 1.16, for, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. And so let's own the Lord, let's own the gospel that he's given us, let's share the gospel with other people that they might also be saved souls along with us, children of the Lord. In Philippians 1.20 it says, According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And may we have that, that motivation to live. To live is Christ's. May I not be ashamed, but with all boldness. Nothing, Paul said, may I be ashamed. And, and he wasn't. <laughs> There's occasions there. Remember when he got beat up by the mob and they would have killed him when he went down there to Jerusalem? I think it was after the occasion there where Bernie was talking about on, in Acts 20. And he got down to Jerusalem and the, the mob was going to lynch him. The lynching mob. And, they <coughs> and the Romans went in, the Roman soldiers went and rescued him and were taking him up, it seems like up the staircase on the side of a wall somewhere. And he said, no, no, stop, stop, I want to talk. And, and he could talk to them in his, their tongue. And he thought, oh, oh, we thought you were someone else. But he, he, they stopped and then he talked to the, the wild mob. <laughs> he wasn't going to quit telling them what he came for and what he, he wanted to share with them, the gospel. No matter what, he wanted to share with them. And, and on, on, on the ship, uh, wherever he was, he shared the gospel. It was Nero, whether it was Felix, whether it was Agrippa, whatever. 
He wanted to share the gospel. He just wanted to get the message out there. He wasn't ashamed. I mean, he'd been beaten up so much, he knew what a beating was. <laughs> he knew how to, be, how to be whipped. And so he knew what was coming when he opened his mouth often. Am I suffering because of my saintly behaviour? Or am I suffering because of a sinful behaviour and my cowardice? Um, <clears throat> um, in Second Timothy one twelve, it also says, "For which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day." <clears throat> Pluck up the courage. <laughs> Don't be fearful. Even old Jeremiah had to be told, and Ezekiel had to be told. What did what did God tell him? He had to tell Jeremiah what, right at the start of the book of Jeremiah and Ezekiel at the start of his ministry, fear not the faces of men. They'll scowl at you, they'll be angry, they'll they'll grit their teeth. They'll gnash on you as they did the Lord, as they did Stephen, as they did Paul later on. And there's other references, even the Lord in Luke 12, verse 4 and 5. Um, <clears throat> and, and in that Luke, the Luke, well, the Luke reference, I'll go there, chapter 12 of Luke and verses 4 and 5, it reads, And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, but after they have no more that they can do. You say, well, that's everything, isn't it? No, <laughs> they can't kill the soul, can they? I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him who after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Fear God. Fear God and keep his commandments. So <clears throat> there's some pointed reasons for suffering, and we've looked at that. Am I suffering because of my sin, or am I suffering because of my saintliness, or saintly behaviour? And there are some practical reasons for suffering too. In verse 17, this is back in Peter. <clears throat> back in Peter chapter 4, verse 17. And it's verse 17, For to purge the church, for the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God to purge the church and to prompt the world to put the world on notice. Well, <clears throat> practical reasons for suffering to purge the church. This judgment was the outbreak of persecution and God allowed it and he overruled it. He was overseeing this, allowing it to go so far and as we've mentioned many times, it went for 300 years until Constantine or 200 and 40 years from Peter's time, from this time we're looking at here, till about 300 AD the persecution happened under 10 emperors of Rome. And, and if you look at Revelation chapter 2 and 3, it's the church at Smyrna. And Smyrna means crushed. And they were crushed. You, you shall have tribulation 10 days and... It's likened to ten periods of persecution under ten emperors of Rome. But uh, the Lord allowed the church to be purged and it grew 
massively at that time. You'd think with all the death and the mayhem and the, and the disruption to their lives, they would be, they'd be so scattered and they'd be so destroyed and there'd be so many of them killed that there'd be nothing, none of them left. But, but the very reverse happened to that. They multiplied. It, it must have been that they were so keen to give testimony that the, and people saw their, their boldness and their conviction that others just believe. This, these people have something I haven't got. They can stand up in the face of lions, they can stand up in the face of death and they can be burnt alive and still not deny the one they believed in. And, and it just caused the gospel and the belief of it to, to multiply everywhere. Um, not like our world that we live in, in the freedom we have. Um, <clears throat> but to purge the church. Ideally, the church should purge itself. It's, it talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. Purge out the old leaven. It, it, that verse is used in the context of the... Um, the man caught in adultery, isn't it? Um, in fornication. In, in fornication. Let me look at, have a look at that. First Corinthians chapter 6, chapter 5. Yes, reported commonly there is fornication among you. That one should have his father's wife. And then down in verse 7, purge out therefore the old leaven. And so it should be in the... The occasion here that the church should have purged this themselves, but they weren't doing it, and Paul had to write them, write them, and tell them that this should have been happening themselves. They should have taken care of this. Um, <clears throat> Peter had done this earlier in the early church, way back early, in another chapter five, actually, chapter five of the book of Acts. Ananias and Sapphira, remember, they had lied to the Holy Spirit. And and um, one of them, both of them agreed to. And one come in and and a nice and he, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. You've said you sold it for this much and you sold it for that much. And you you know while it was yours, you could have kept it all. But it's not about how much you gave. It's you've lied. And they he, he died. And then his wife come in. And she died. When and so <clears throat> they were the church was purged. And you, you'd think. Ah, you do that to a church, you do that in a church, nobody's going to come to church. You know what happened in verse 14? And the church multiplied. That's what it says. Just a few verses later, the church grew. Interesting, isn't it? When the church was purged, the church grew. If people didn't deal with the leaven, God would deal with the leaven. And Peter did deal with the leaven and God blessed. And people believed. Now, <clears throat> there's a reference in 1 Corinthians in chapter 11, the verses we read at the Lord's table. When we partake of the Lord's table in verse 30 to 31 and following there or around that area. And it reads, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be what? Judged. Isn't that a better way? The best way to purge 
is to do a self-examination as we encourage at the Lord's table. Lord, show me. Let me see if there is some wicked way in me. Are my motives right? Let's judge ourselves that we should not be judged because if we're judged and we're not self-judging, then we're chastened of the Lord and we may well be condemned along with those in the world, as it says in verse 32. And in, you know, we hear Christians today saying, oh, you shouldn't judge. <laughs> but in the verses they quote, they need to read the rest of the verses around before and after it because it says judge righteous judgment. It does say judge. It doesn't say not judge. It says do it right. It says judge yourself first. Then do the judgment. And make sure you judge yourself first because if you do judgment without you're judging yourself, you're going to be judged of the Lord. Because that's self-righteous judgment if you're judging and you haven't judged yourself. And, uh, you know, you've stood in the light of God's word and is there something that's in me? And what did the Lord say? <laughs> he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And he just went down to right and on the ground again. And they all, he got up and where are they all gone? Where are your accusers? Even those crooks, I mean, <laughs> the Sanhedrin guys, they, they, the Spirit of God come upon them with conviction. And so it should be with us when we do that self-judgment. Lord, I'm guilty. I'm not going to cast a stone. I'm not going to judge because I've thought the wrong thing. I've done the wrong thing. <clears throat> with what judgment you judge, ye shall be judged. And <clears throat> keep these things in mind. The time has come. The judgment must begin at the house of God. God wants his people to be walking right. And if, he do, if they don't, it's not going to be good for them. As we've been in 1 Corinthians, we can go back and <clears throat> within the fellowship, there, there needs to be the judgment that Paul spoke of in chapter 6. Dare any of you having a matter against a brother? Go to the law before the unjust and not before the saints. Do ye not know that saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? Interesting thought, isn't it? <laughs> How much more the things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments of things pertaining to this life, do we set them? Do we set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church? No, we get those that are wise in the word to do that. So there is judgment within the church. And Paul is talking to the Corinthians, and it's right after chapter five, and the judgment of those that were fornicating there, and then taking the leaven out. Then comes chapter six, and talking about this judgment. And Paul said, isn't there someone in there that can take care? Will set, you say, set in judgment on this matter. Don't esteem those who are not grown in the faith to be in that position. I speak to your shame. Is it so there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall abide 
be able to judge between his brethren. But the brother goeth to law against brother, and that before the unbelievers. There is utterly a fault among you, because ye do go to law one with another. Why do you not rather take the wrong? Why do you not rather yourselves allow yourself to be defrauded? Ye do wrong and defraud, and that your brethren. And so there's purge, purging in the church that needs to take place. Are there practical reasons for the suffering we go through? Purging in the church and to promote or to prompt, sorry, the world and put it on notice. Notice back in our text in First Peter chapter 4, the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Take a good look at ourselves. God wants his people to be a holy people. Judge ourselves. Judge within ourselves, personally, collectively. And, folks, if judgment first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel? Wow. If God chastises his own children, Christians, what will he do with those that rebel against the truth of the gospel? And God gives ample warning to those who are not believers. I think we'll leave that one till next time <laughs> but he gives strong warning it, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this <laughs> we had a bit of a discussion a few Sundays ago at a Sunday school in a Sunday school Troy was leading it um And it was said, not by Troy, <laughs> by some, that they indicated I've, I've given the okay to God that it's okay for him to judge. And I bit my tongue. That's almost blasphemy. We don't give the God, God okay to do anything, do we? Not at all. The clay cannot say to the potter, why hast thou made me thus? God can judge the sinner whenever, however, and whoever the way he wants. It's... And it's going to be on, folks, real soon in this world. There are some leaders in our country and all around the world that are speaking God down. There's one in our country just down south that calls Christians and uh, Bible and those that believe it bigots. He keeps on using that word and he uses it in a real nasty way. And I thought, he got it coming. He's not going to keep doing that about God. You can't do that and get away with it. Nebuchadnezzar, he found out the hard way, but praise God, he believed. It took seven years to beat him up before he did. Herod, Herod didn't, did he? he? He murdered all the babies because he thought he was so great. And he heard a king 
had been born. And he murdered all the babies of Bethlehem. You know what happened to him? As it were, he was eaten from inside out. And he died a horrible death. And the record is, and Josephus gives it to us, died 4 BC (laughs) of a miserable death. You see, you don't do it and get away with it. This, um, <clears throat> the world is yet to see God's wrath on full display. And it's soon. As Brother McConnell the other day, on a Wednesday night, we're doing prayer meeting at the end of it, you just said, Russia's burned, America's burned, and you went down through a list of things that's happening in the world. Can we see it? <laughs> starting to build to a point of destruction. But they're all saying, climate change. <laughs> God is moving. And God is going to say, I'm sitting on the throne. I'm still in control. Praise God. We've got a saviour that's in control, haven't we? And we can look to him to bring about justice and righteousness to this world. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. Mm. And uh, he, he has the victory because of Calvary. He's won the victory already. He's just fighting from victory. So look forward to it.